This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. I'm Roshan Kanitsin, and you're now listening to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Today, we're exploring the global IPO performance in 2023 and what to watch out for in 2024 with Kevin Chu, Senior Executive Director with the Strategy and Transactions team at Ernst & Young, or more commonly known as EY. We're going to be diving into the details and insights in their recent Global IPO Trends 2023 report. And along, among other things, we'll dive into the primary reasons behind the slower year for IPOs in 2023, the potential implications of the backlog of IPOs in growth sectors, and key factors that business leaders and companies should keep in mind when planning their IPO strategies this year. Now, some key highlights from the report show us that in 2023, the global IPO market closed with a, just under 1,300 IPOs, raising about 123 billion US dollars. In the Global Trends report, EY noted that this is around 34% or a third lower than 2022's IPO proceeds of 184 billion, and global IPO volumes last year fell around 8% on year. However, that said, deal volumes did pick up in regions such as the Americas as well as Europe, Middle East, India, and African regions. Interestingly, this report highlighted that 2023 saw new IPO hotspots emerge and when benchmarked against the five-year average IPO activity, markets such as Indonesia, Turkey, and Malaysia saw increases in deal volume and proceeds. Meanwhile, India, Saudi Arabia, and Thailand recorded an increase in the number of IPOs. In contrast, uh, markets such as Hong Kong experienced a 20-year low in proceeds last year, and uh, the pace of IPO issuances in mainland China showed uh, slowed in the latter half of 2023. Focusing on ASEAN, uh, the number of completed deals rose slightly year on year and that mostly came from countries uh, from Indonesia, Thailand and Malaysia, which together accounted for about 148 of the 157 deals last year or transactions. Uh, no surprises here, but Indonesia was 50% of the deals and 64% of proceeds in the region, followed by Thailand, which was about a quarter of volume and about a 20% of IPO value. And then we had Malaysia, which, as mentioned earlier, was one of the hotspots in this region. Deal volume and value against the five-year average IPO, uh, saw increases in deal volume and value against its five-year average IPO activity, accounting for around 20% of total transactions in ASEAN. Now, if you have any thoughts, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. You can also reach us on X at BFM Radio. Again, if you want to WhatsApp us, that's our U-Mobile number at 018-789-8899. So, today on Enterprise Explores, we're diving into the world of global IPOs with Kevin Chu, Senior Executive Director with the Strategy and Transactions Team at EY. As mentioned, we'll talk about IPO performance and why it's slowed in 2023, things that businesses should watch and keep in mind if they're planning for IPOs this year or sometime relatively soon, as well as the backlog in growth sectors. Kevin, welcome to the studio. How are you doing? Doing great, Roshan. Uh, had a good weekend? It was uh, eventful. <laughs> it was eventful. Um, so, Kevin, obviously a lot to talk about in this report. Uh, so let's start with the top line stuff. Um, full year 2023 global, the uh, full year, the report showed that proceeds lagged behind 2022, as I mentioned sure. earlier, about a third behind. Um, give us a sense for the primary factors that influenced this trend and how it impacted different regions and sectors. Yes. Hi, Roshan. Uh, actually, thank, first of all, thank you for having me on BFM. It's a real privilege to be here. Uh, I think the EY IPO Global Report 2023 highlighted that even though there was a $123 billion 
in total IPO proceeds globally is it was actually a third smaller than what 2022 mm. had. One of the main reasons is that there was a lot of pent up demand due to COVID. It was a COVID was a arguably a once in a century event, and there was a uh, you know the same way there was revenge spending, revenge mm. touring. I won't say revenge IPOs, but really <laughs> there was a lot of pent up demand that was waiting to happen. There was a long pipeline that was released in, and a lot of the effects was felt in FY uh, in year 2022. So in a way, comparing 23 to 22 was like you're taking 23 against potentially, a, I wouldn't say artificial high, but abnormally high year in 22. There's a high base effect essentially. Yes, that's right. Uh, so in a way that the, a lot of the work, the sectors that were hot were like technology, health and consumer. Uh, but if we take a step back and look at what 22 and 23 was, 23, in 23, we had the Fed raise interest rates three times, 25 basis points each time. We, we, we started the year with one conflict globally. We ended the year with two, which mm-hmm. is still ongoing apparently. And you know, it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. And there was a lot of uncertainty. And then in the middle of all that, you know, banks started to collapse. I mean, we had credit Suisse dropping. And then we had Silicon Valley Bank, we had Signature Bank, First Republic Bank in the mm. US going down. And that created a lot of uncertainty. And also generally, there was a lot of um, depressed valuations in terms of, well, I suppose depressed valuations compared to what they had been in previous years. Um, and what and the expectations have been built up over the years pre, prior to 2023. And if you look at what's happened in 2023, a lot of the valuations fell below what potentially what uh, the shareholders of those mm. companies were looking for. So it, it, it led to a lot of caution in the, in the market. There was a lot of wait and see you know, last year. It really felt that everyone was like, well, let's see, does anyone want to go out and try the market first and then we'll see how you do it? Like, oh, you first, you first. Yeah, there, there was a lot of that because, I mean, it, it's like, it's you know why do you test the waters for me right so I I think there was a lot of uh, if I can wait let's wait and see what happens to the other guy and Mm. and if if he goes well then (laughs) then we'll go but obviously we can talk about this in a while but really the IPOs are not doesn't happen in a day they take a while to Mm. to prep up for it and so you know if things clear up a bit in 24 which it may because uh, on one hand we're looking at you know, everyone's saying that interest rates were stable. Well, they, they have stabilized it. And um, that it may actually go downwards. There may be more uncertainty in the market. More certainty in the market. But again, I mean, our Taiwan's election is done. Mm. That I'm not sure whether that improves the whole situation in regards to geopolitical tensions between the US and China. Mm. I mean, now, two days ago, the US and the UK started bombing the Houthis in Yemen. I'm not sure how that plays into all this. Yeah, not to mention it's going to have impact on shipping lanes and, and global right. trade. That's right. And and also, so that's so that is, uh, that is what it looks like uh, moving forward this year. There's a lot of un- continuing uncertainty. Mm. Um, and, you know, let, let's see what happens. I mean, every day you turn on the news, something new is happening, right? And, yeah, and you know, in terms of the regions, um, you know, how the regions impacted were impacted differently. Uh, Kevin, what, what can you tell us about that? I mean, the different. Yeah, I, I, I think that there's two two ways to look at this. There's also one is the regions and one is the sector. I mean, if you really look at markets over the last decade, I mean, just not just last year, the U.S. market has been really, really strong over mm-hmm. the last decade, and uh, uh, you know that. 
that momentum seems to have been slow, slowing last year. And okay, then then if you look at the other side of the world, China's not doing, actually, you may argue China's even doing worse than, than that. And mm-hmm. then there's been lots of um, onshoring, mm. technology independence, and, you know, a lot of things have been moved back to China. And because of the regulatory crackdowns, there's been a lot of, Wait, there's, there's even more hesitation, I would say, that in China than there, there may have been in other regions. Yeah, it always seemed like uh, when you watch the Chinese markets uh, or the IPO markets, the equity markets, it's like every time there was a little bit of optimism. It's like, okay, here's some new regulations in terms of, you know, how things need to be operated in this particular sector. And that had its ramifications uh, in terms of valuations and performance. That, yeah, I, I think that's true because, I mean, the 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 Chinese housing market has yet to resolve itself. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing story, right? I mean, mm. it, some have defaulted, some seems to somehow scrape through. Uh, but but seeing, seeing that the Chinese tech sector, despite everything seems to be going, they've had a lion's share of proceeds from IPOs globally. Mm. Uh, more than 50% of global proceeds in the tech sector have gone to Chinese companies listing on mainland China. Yeah, you, you're correct, Roshan, in the sense that uh, the Chinese market, mainland Chinese market in Hong Kong has, has been doing really poorly last year comparatively to history. Um, so that's, well, let's, let's see what, what happens. Mm. Um, in 2023, uh, it does look like, I mean, you highlighted some of the key indicators there, I'm sorry, key factors, but the IPO performance seemed a little bit out of step with the buoyant equity markets that we've seen towards particularly the end, end of the year, right, towards the second half, AI seemed to have saved. Uh, the Magnificent Seven came in and, you know, saved the US equity markets. Can you talk a little, to us a little bit about the disconnect and the implications for businesses considering going public? Yeah, I, I the, well, the Magnificent Seven would have, uh, if we had a crystal ball to go, I mean, not crystal, a time travel machine, and the ones that uh, Hollywood loves so much. Yes. We, all, we all put money into the Magnificent yeah, Seven. I was just we, thinking about this yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, benefit of hindsight, right? Yes. So it's, I, I mean, Apple probably didn't look so good 30 years ago and Steve Jobs lost his job there. Yeah. But if you put money, then you'll be a lot financially, a lot better off today. And NVIDIA just two years ago, right? You, you'll be laughing all the way to the bank. But I, I think the, 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 the disconnect at the moment is that the equity markets as a whole seems to be doing quite strong, but the IPO market is lagging behind. And mm. there's a, the, what would naturally people would expect a correlation between the two. I mean, why would you list? Why would, when the markets are strong, it's a good time to to jump in and, and list your your company. But that's not quite happening. And I think a lot of the reasons, uh, especially the the developed markets, is for, the IPO markets are really quite muted. Is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. I know we talked about it a bit earlier. There's the I think the 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 developed markets are looking at when is the interest rate hiking cycle going to end and capital is a lot more expensive than it's been over compared to the last decade. Mm. You, can, you can argue that it's been so much more expensive and every central bank has been following the, the Federal Reserve in hiking rates, not every, but a lot of the central banks have been hiking their rates and increasing financing costs for a lot of investors and all of a sudden equity seems a lot more risky, right? And then the other reason could be underperforming aftermarket performance. I mean, it's, we've looked at a lot of uh, companies going listing and 
you know, some of them have a small one-day pop mm. and then they have a slow glide down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> and that's obviously not something that's going to encourage the next lot to go and throw their hand into the ring and have a, and, and list their companies. And I think, you know, it's like what you said, you know, waiting for the other guy to go first to see how he, how his company does. And so far, the, the data is showing that it's quite risky in the sense that it's not an automatic gain. There's a lot of companies that are trading below their IPO price uh, after listing, and that's not very encouraging in for 2023. I mean, 2024, it remains to be seen We're just in January. It could turn out to be the best year ever, but... There are certain I, things to I guess persist. we'll have to wait and see, uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, we've got to go into a few messages. When we come back, we got more to get into. Uh, particularly, I think uh, one thing people are going to be uh, paying attention to is factors to keep in mind if they're planning for IPOs or their IPO strategies this year. Folks, you're listening to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. And today, we're exploring 2023's lagging global IP performance and what to watch out for in 2021 and helping us with this conversation has been Kevin Chu. He's the Senior Executive Director with the Strategy and Transactions Team at Ernst & Young. We've been talking about the details of their recent Global IPO Trends 2023 report, uh, some of the reasons for the slower market in 2023, and the key part of that is is, uh, comparison, a higher base effect from 2022. Uh, and later on, we'll talk a little bit about the implications of the backlog of IPOs in growth sectors and factors that companies should keep in mind uh, with their IPO strategies this year. I'm Roshan Kanisin. We'll be back after a few messages, so keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Banana from Malaysia. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. I'm Roshan Kanison. Today on Enterprise Explores, we are talking about 2023's slower IPO performance globally when compared to 2022 and factors that business leaders and companies should keep in mind when planning their IPO strategies this year. Helping me with this conversation has been Kevin Chu, Senior Executive Director with the Strategy and transactions team at Ernst & Young. Among other things we're diving into included earlier, we were talking about the primary reasons behind the slower year for IPOs in 2023. And a key theme that came up, of course, was the high base effect from 2022 and 2021. Uh, but later on, we're going to talk about the potential implications of the backlog of IPOs in growth sectors and much more. Um, so, Kevin, just uh, diving into, just following on from earlier, right? So as mentioned uh, earlier, the report talks about new hotspots sure. uh, that were outpacing traditional IPO powerhouses in 2023. Uh, things that we think about like the US, Hong Kong and China, but we saw uh, hotspots in Turkey, in Indonesia and even Malaysia. Uh, talk to us about these emerging markets and their significance in the global IPO landscape. Yeah. Uh, if, if you look at what's happened versus the five-year average, I mean, the Three countries that have beaten the five-year average, both in terms of number of IPOs and also the proceeds. And that's Turkey, Indonesia, and Malaysia. I'm bringing it up again because mm. Malaysia is in there. So yes. it, it, take a win <laughs> any way you can, all right? Um, <laughs> uh, so Malaysia, Malaysia is in there and in, a, in a small group of three. Though it's only, oddly, I don't know why Turkey is there, but... 
you know, Turkey is happy in having its problems, but Turkey seems to be doing well. But let, let's talk about uh, what's happened uh, about Malaysia and Indonesia. I mean, 2022, really the IPO market was driven by China, mainland China really, and the Middle East. Uh, 23 IPOs, really what, what you said earlier, Roshan, Indonesia's had a big chunk of that in terms mm. of the emerging market. And Indonesia has been a big winner in this. Uh, because uh, they've had a lot of fast-growing financial unicorns. Their their uh, extractive mineral sector has been going well. Uh, so, so if some of their strategic privatization of their state-owned enterprises as well. Malaysia, on the other hand, has we've had. If you look at uh, 2023, we've had like 31 new listings. If we look only at uh, the main and the A sport, and that, and if you add in the leap, we've had like 35, and They've had 35 for the last, I don't know, five years or so, bar 2020. I think that was a COVID impact. It was the only year we dropped mm. below 30. So Malaysia actually has been pretty consistent. And if you really, and looking at Malaysia, I mean, just going back to the 31 that was listed on the main board and the A's in 2023 in last year, uh, 20 of them are, are actually trading above their offer price, which is pretty good. That's I mean, pretty good. Yeah. yeah, pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, okay. If you're one of the 10 or 11, it's not so good. But really looking at what's happening all over the world, 20 that's going up, trading above their offer price is pretty good. And we've had, uh, but on the other hand, you, if you look at the, the chart, back to the five-year average, if you look at the who's below the five-year average in terms of proceeds, in terms of number of IPOs, you get all this, all these places which you don't expect. It's like mainland China is in that bucket. Mm. The US is in that bucket. Australia is in that bucket. The UK is in that bucket. <laughs> Hong Kong is in the bucket, right? You know, it, it's nice to be all the powerhouses. Yeah, so so that's why we're saying that. Well, right, Malaysia is. We've got a win here. We are, we are right on the other end of the spectrum. We are, we, are, we are in a group of three winning this, so we are doing well. And. Yeah, the one thing the the report highlighted uh, was a strong performance in small cross-border listings as well. Uh, so, what shifts are you observing in the, or did the report observe in the global IPO market, particularly in terms of investment strategies and investor preferences? Right, I, I think when we had uh, EY had a global outlook pulse survey in twenty three, mm. and we when we we did that survey, when EY did that survey, we found that. 70% of private company CEOs are willing to explore new markets that shares, you know, geopolitical and economic ties with their home countries. You can argue it's French-shoring and near-shoring, <laughs> but that's what they're looking at. And if you look at what's happening in a lot of our global exchanges, uh, a lot of global exchanges are streamlining their listing policies, they are in putting in advanced trading tools, they're broadening and deepening their investor pools to attract the... Uh, what they they believe are high growth or innovative companies to come and lift list in their markets. That means they're no longer looking only at the the companies in their home territories, but they're looking globally mm. for companies in all over the globe to come and list in uh, in in their in their exchanges. Right? I mean. I mean, the Nasdaq has obviously been doing very well. Yeah. That. You get companies from China, from Singapore, or arguably that one's Malaysian, but uh, <laughs> uh, Singapore to to list there, and and, and so you know, it, it's it's the the impetus now is to 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 make themselves more accessible and to have deeper investor pools to attract 
the companies that they believe are high growth and innovative to, to their markets. Now, if we look at cross-border, obviously cross-border always sounds nice, but uh, it really there is challenges to be overcome or, or to, I would say overcome to be managed as, as uh, if someone's thinking of listing their company overseas because it, really the, you you got to work out the cultural fluency the localized transparency the localized regulations what you know and, and you know managing the the investor sentiment in the, in uh, a different market from what potentially what you're used to now and if we look at um, cross-border listings, and you know the the EY report does have a have a, a chart on uh, how companies are doing after they list. And if you look at 2023, um, in terms of percentage of uh, IPOs where the company's current share prices are above their listing price, uh, companies that list the overall picture is that companies that list in the local market seem to be doing better. I mean, for 2023 oh. listings. 58% of companies that are have listed in their home markets are trading above their offer price. While for cross-border listings, only 27% are trading above their offer price. I mean, okay, this is when the report was written, but still it gives an indication that it can be challenging. And if you break down at 27%, out of the 27% that's doing better than their IPO price, the majority of that is small IPOs. The big, mm. the mega IPOs, the large IPOs, they're not really doing that well for 2023. Yeah. I mean, the, the trend continues for the last, last five years. If we look at the last five years, 20, 20, 2019 up to, okay, we talked about 23, but if we really look at <laughs> the last five years, in every single year, com- uh, companies that listed on their home markets are generally trading better in terms of the current market price compared to what they, their offer price was. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I guess it really does, you know, because I speak to a lot of, uh, we speak to a lot of founders sure. and entrepreneurs on our show, Open for Business, that's every day at 10 a.m. And there's always this narrative of, you know, I've, I've heard multiple entrepreneurs and founders tell me they want to go listen to NASDAQ, right? That's the aim. They want to go in because of the liquidity and the depth of the market. Um, but this is quite an interesting counterpoint to that, right? In terms of, yes, you can go and list in those markets, but are you going to get enough attention to uh, in that very competitive space to keep your share price at a certain level to get investor interest uh, in a in such a high volume space? I suppose it's the Nasdaq is a is a very large market with yeah. very deep investor pools, but it's also trying to get the people who invest the investors that invest in that market to understand what your what your selling point is to put it mm-hmm. you know to put it very simply but you know what is your competitive advantage and if you are a new name onto the market it can be challenging in order to 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 convince the investor pool there that mm-hmm. you know you you are the horse they should bet on right yeah, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how some of these players do, particularly the ones, I guess, if you've raised a lot of money from venture capital, one of the only places you can really go and get that kind of valuation is probably the NASDAQ or US markets or Hong Kong. Yeah, I, I think, I think yeah, back to venture capital is yeah. an interesting story, right? Because venture capital has been throwing a lot of money into into a lot of this, a lot of these startup high growth companies, mm-hmm. because if you really look at the tech and the, and the life science sector, really is the venture capital money that's been fueling it. But uh, with with capital getting more expensive, it's, it remains to be seen whether they're going to continue throwing money at this. But on the other hand, if you're not getting the venture capital money, and you need to raise capital, is is the decision that the the founders or the shareholders need to make is is this the day that you jump into the public markets, right? Because mm. of the uncertainties, because of the way things are going. 
So that that's that will be a good story to look out for in 2024. Something that uh, if uh, something comes up, I'm sure we'll give you a call, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, we've got more to get into. Uh, after this, we'll talk a little bit about the IPO performance of the big debuts in the market and how that played out, as well as a look at certain sectors. And again, uh, so that backlog that we still haven't uh, really touched on just yet. Folks, you're listening to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. And today we're exploring... 2023's IPO performance on a global scale and what to watch out for in 2024. And helping us with this is Kevin Chu, Senior Executive Director with the Strategy and Transactions Team at Ernst & Young. I'm Roshan Gunnison. We'll be back after a few messages. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Best for money. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Today on Enterprise Explores, we're talking about 2023's IPO performance globally and how that was lagging behind 2022. Uh, but that, of course, was due to a, or partially due to a high base effect. Um, fact, And also we're talking about factors that companies should be keeping in mind if they've got their own IPOs planned out the next year or two. Helping me with this conversation has been Kevin Chu, Senior Executive Director with the Strategy and Transactions Team at Ernst & Young. Uh, among other things, we dived earlier into the primary reasons behind the slower year for IPS in 2023, as well as some of the, uh, but, uh, and later on we're going to be talking about some of the potential implications of the backlog of IPOs in growth sectors, among other things. Um, Kevin, talk to us a little bit about how the performance of uh, big debuts in, in this in the what was a fragile market impacted investor confidence, and what this ultimately means for companies with large scale IPO ambitions. And there are a lot of you know Series D, C, E, F uh, startups that are waiting, biding their time to jump into the capital the equity market. Hi, Roshan. I think the the real bottom line was that the big mega IPOs in terms of what their after listing performances has been really trailing the small little IPOs. Mm. The small little IPOs have, quite a few of them enjoyed a nice little day one pop. You know, they've got a real nice pop and that's not really happened to the mega IPOs. So I think that has resulted in a bit of caution in the mega IPOs. And you've been, look, and we've had um, quite a few of those mega IPOs changed the strategy a little. They've been looking for cornerstone investors, cornerstone strategies. They've been looking for someone else to take a nice little chunk of it before they before they let it out to the public. And what's it works to a certain extent, but what what the downside to that, obviously there's less liquidity in the market because there's less for any everyone else to share. But that that's one of the one of the strategies in the employed, the cornerstone strategy means taking an getting someone to take a nice big chunk. The little IPOs, well, they seem to be doing better comparatively. So that's still happening. And let's see what happens after that. Now, the report indicates that there is a mounting backlog of IPOs in growth sectors with a surge in pooled deals, particularly in China. Uh, talk to us about the implications uh, for of this on the global IPO market. The Pool deals in China has been quite substantial in the sense that uh, if you really look at what's happened, in, if you look at the total postponed or withdrawn IPOs in terms of global IPO volumes in 2023, that's about 54%. It means more than half of them in pool. And a, a large proportion of that is, is coming from China. I mean, historically, if you look at the 
I would say seven, eight year average has been about less than 20% bold deals. Mm. Last year, 2023, it's been 54%, which is more than half. Wow. It doesn't look nice. <laughs> well, it, not, it doesn't look nice if, you, if you're, the, if you're, the, if you're the, the, the stakeholders trying to IPO your, mm. your company. I mean, more than half of them have been pulled back. But I think the market's been skewed by what's happening in China because of the... Uh, one unstable capital markets. The valuations are being squeezed. Uh, there's a regulatory crackdowns, and and really the market in China has been has hasn't been good. I mean, China itself, we're talking about nine, uh, really a huge number of deals have been pulled. Sorry, I've just lost the number here. Um, but overall, what what's happened is that that's put a lot more caution to to the market because obviously preparing for IPO is a is is it's it's time-consuming and mm. it's also expensive. And to have half of them pulled is really not encouraging. It wasn't a frivolous decision to go and do that, right? You invested a lot in trying to make this happen. That's right. And 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 if you look at what's happened, I mean, I mean, the headline one years ago was when N Financials got pulled mm. a few days before it was supposed to 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 launch. And really, when when that happens, you can imagine that most of the cost and the time that needed to go into something like that has already been spent. And you're you, you really other, you know, you're potentially you're getting uh, you, everyone disfocused or unfocused on what, what your core business is for potentially a short mo- uh, amount of time and then getting it pulled and getting nothing out of it other than, other than experience of going towards an IPO, which is <laughs> obviously not the purpose of the whole exercise. Um, Kevin, one of the key things, of course, that we want to be paying attention to is the Southeast Asian or the ASEAN markets, and particularly, of course, uh, Malaysia. Uh, how do their IPO trends and outlook compare to the global landscape? I mean, we touched on some details earlier, but feel free to refresh as it was uh, some time ago. I, yeah, I, right. There were in ASEAN, there were like 157 IPOs mm. last year, 2023. And Hundred and forty-eight of those came from just three markets: Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia. And Malaysia was twenty percent of that. And Malaysia again in the top three. You know, it's a nice trend. <laughs> uh, so we, so Malaysia, Malaysia, oh, Indonesia obviously became the big winner out there because uh, in, in, in Indonesia had more than fifty percent of those deals, and more than sixty percent of the IPO proceeds in the ASEAN region went to Indonesia. Uh, but Malaysia has a nice twenty percent, which is not bad considering our you know now the size of a country and economy. Mm. So we've had a nice twenty percent. Uh, Thailand, I think Thailand could have been the fact that uh, at that the there was uh, new regulations coming out in Thailand in in twenty twenty four, and a lot of companies the thinking was well, let's push this through before more more stringent rules come into play. That's that's one explanation of what's happening in Thailand, Malaysia has been consistent we've uh, mentioned earlier we've had over 30 IPOs year every single year for the last five years bar 2020 mm. for obvious reasons and the, we've been going nicely that way and uh, a lot of the investors in the Malaysian IPOs have been local institutions and also some foreign investors have been coming to our market to to invest in our local IPOs uh, just jumping a bit to 2024, mm. one point that's peculiar to Malaysia, hopefully, uh, that will boost the IPO market in Malaysia is that if 
in the budget discussions on exemptions on CGT for IPOs, yeah. and that hopefully when it when it, be, it becomes legislation and gets gazetted and becomes legislation, will provide a nice little impetus to the Malaysian market. That means that that um, founders looking to either realize some value or to exit or to to just list their companies will have a nice little incentive to do it because of uh, the new regulations coming through. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to watch whether there's any spillover effect from that because there, I think there have been talks of uh, uh, exemptions for bursa listings pending approval from the bursa, of course. Uh, there are some exemptions to the CGT, but if you're a company holding it, you know there, this could be one avenue of avoiding that. Um, Kevin, let's wrap up this conversation with taking a look at key factors that business leaders and companies should consider when planning their IPO strategies for the upcoming year or years. Right. I, I think... Uh Looking at IPO strategy is obviously quite fluid in a sense that I, I think it's quite fluid also because there's a lot of factors outside the the, your, the control of the companies and the founders that are trying to list their companies. I, I think the key word to remember here is to be well prepared. I think to, to be well prepared in a sense that because of where um, the global ecosystem is financially in the sense of the uncertainties. You really want to, to be have a business model that's resilient in the sense that something that will be able to navigate all the complexities mm. and uncertainties that are going to happen that may happen moving forward. Um, that you might want to have a, obviously a strong business model managing supply chain constraints or changing supply chain, um, changing meaning not changing your supply chain, but the changing landscape on supply chains. Right. Uh, something that can be resilient against macroeconomic challenges, have a strong working capital. Um, and then if you need to, managing your business post-pandemic, the new normal. Also, when it comes to valuations, to be a bit more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> In a sense that, I'm, I'm not trying to say that you should go for a lower valuation, but is to read the tone of the market at the moment when you're, when you're trying to push the button or pull the trigger and to work out what is a realistic valuation you can get. Uh, valuations have changed, obviously, year on year. And it's, that's, you know, you, even if you manage to get a real, really good offer price put out there, but it, it really doesn't help if then after day one you start having that, glide down to the bottom again so it's really to to be realistic about what you can get from the of our valuation and and how to manage the optics post valuation so that your share price remains resilient after that um, also you know communication is key mm. especially if you're really listing in a, a cross-border deal in a foreign market you really want to make sure your messaging is clear and what and really what your business model is and and what the future lies and what and what you can bring to to the market really um and then obviously geopolitical risk mm. um i think this one is maybe out of everyone's control yeah and uh, to to be aware that it's not a short term thing i i don't i don't think well i'm i'm not sure how long the conflicts are going to go on for but there is a lot of geopolitics at play. We've had arguably a big 
geopolitically impactful relation, uh, election done in, in Taiwan. I think there's one in India this year, mm -hmm. which will be a big, and then a big one in November coming up. Yeah. And if Mr. Trump gets his second term, you know, all bets are off. I think this is the biggest year for elections in, uh, in many years. I think uh, we've also got the Indonesian elections as well. Oh, that's right. I've forgotten yeah, about so, that, uh, that one. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot going on in this space. Yeah, so, so that... So geopolitics and how it plays out, and in terms of who comes in, and we'll have a we'll create its own uncertainty mm. because uh, no one, you know, you have to be resilient enough in your business model to be resilient enough to manage all those. Um, and then obviously the ESG requirements will have to be uh, managed in the terms of the E, the S, and the G. And it's really even on the G, which sometimes people don't fo do not focus on it. That really is arguably a trust deficit in a lot of uh, in a lot of uh, markets and in a lot of the way investors look at things. Mm. Uh, so that will have to be managed and and uh, be be overcome. Mm -hmm. In one of a better word. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin. Um I would, I would love to take this conversation a lot longer, but that we've come to the end of our hour here. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Roshan. Thank you very much for having me. Folks, I was speaking with Kevin Chu, Senior Executive Director with the Strategy and Transactions Team at Ernst & Young, and you've been listening to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. If you missed any part of this conversation, as always, you can catch our podcasts on the BFM website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. Our shows are also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast players. Just look up Enterprise Explores. I'm Roshan Kernison. Keep it here at BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.